Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Trigger warning. This podcast has references to violence and abuse. If you or someone you know is dealing with domestic abuse, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can find more information, resources, and support on their website as well. We will add this information to our show notes. What's up, bitches? Welcome, friends. It's so good to be back for episode four. Yes, I can't believe we are four episodes in about our favorite trial, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> Thomas was literally talking to me the other day. My my partner, Thomas, was like, I can't believe that I'm about to embrace two to three hours of pop culture because that's not his thing. Like this whole trial, he's just been rolling his eyes at it. I've been obsessed with it. And he's been talking to me like, you are a crazy person but i'm gonna be all in and support you so i love it i feel like we've been talking about this for months like water cooler talk oh my gosh of course attached to youtube all day long during the actual trial in between our our real life jobs we're finally getting to the end of our amber heard johnny depp journey here and we want to talk a little bit about the trial itself the outcomes and as we've been trying to do in this show so far just dig into the humanity of it. What motivates people to do what they do? Why Why are you acting like that? That sort of thing as we go into this. I give that caveat because we are not lawyers. So some of this in-depth legalese we're not going to go into. I understand enough to be dangerous because I've watched enough of LawTube to just go crazy. In fact, um, Legal Bites, if you haven't checked out that channel, please go check out Alita. She's fantastic. Lots of great trial coverage. I was thinking, Carla that we'll focus a little bit first on kind of the the difference between the UK and the US trial, because people are like, weren't they the same thing? How come they have such different outcomes? I think we focus on some of the the biggest kind of blockbuster ah moments, like the the more shocker moments from the trial, and then the, the get into the outcomes themselves. So what Johnny and Amber were each awarded and see what that digs up for us. How does that feel to you? I love that. All right. This whole claim started with a an op-ed that Amber Heard wrote for the Washington Post that uh, talked about her alleged experiences as someone that had been through domestic abuse and just wanting to put a voice to it and feeling like the title of her op-ed suggested that in the online version it was called, I spoke up against domestic violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. And I've read the article and it, it very much felt exactly like the title insinuates. Here are my experiences with domestic abuse. And then I watched all of these people around me protect this man, which she never named to be Johnny Depp. Right. But I watched all of these people basically bend over backwards to make sure that he's okay and to make sure that his ass is covered in all of this situation and something about that has to change. Which, I don't know, you're probably going to hear some of my opinion come out with this. And if I play devil's advocate, if that is true, she has every right to write about it, right? And I think that's part of what got people so upset about this trial is it felt like this very retaliatory thing by Johnny Depp to go after it 
when people that are advocates of, of Amber Heard said, well, she's just putting voice to her own experiences. So here's what I don't understand is Amber had a lot of firsthand experience in a family that had a lot of domestic violence. Yeah. She talked about her dad being an alcoholic. He had an addiction. She talked about how he was very violent with her mother, that there was common themes that she could see between her relationship, her parents, and her and Johnny Depp. Regardless of saying whether or not I think she was telling the truth about everything that she experienced in her relationship with Johnny Depp, she very clearly could and still should be an advocate, she could talk about her experiences, what she grew up watching. I just think when she signed the disparagement clause, when she decided from for the divorce, from yeah. her divorce, that's the part that really confuses me. And I don't understand some of the motivation behind it. Why did you sign that at your divorce if you clearly don't feel it and you're going to speak very openly about it later? So there's, those are some of the things that I'm not very clear about. I obviously don't know why Amber chose what she chose. I think, too, as part of the trial, we see that there is a lot of characteristics in both of their parents and their relationship. I almost wonder, too, is, you know, where Amber said, oh, I see all these similarities between Johnny Depp and my father. I'm more curious, is there a lot of similarities between Amber and her father? Oh, that's interesting, right? Because we like to think of ourselves in you know the least bad guy light as possible. Of course. But we're absorbing all of that, like especially as kids. We're completely absorbing everything that we see, whether we know it or not, everything we see and hear and experience. I just, I've never heard it put in that light before of, you know, Amber, I know you think you're a lot like your mom, but what if you're a little bit like your father too? And not your fault, but you grew up in a household where they didn't deal with those feelings and emotions in healthy ways at all, girl. Like they didn't. And neither did you, Johnny. Like, sorry, dude. A hundred percent. And I almost wonder if there are some connections between Johnny Depp's mother, who he talked about being very cruel, that he was very scared of at times, and Amber. I'll say this and then we'll jump into the difference between the two trials, but he insinuated that on the stand during his initial kind of friendly examination by his own counsel, which is pertinent to the difference between these two trials. It seemed like he was trying to make that connection for the audience where his dad was kind of this upstanding dude that just got caught in the crosshairs and still made bad decisions. Like he fully admits that. Absolutely. And was just kind of caught in the crosshairs versus his mom, who's this very controlling and often cruel person. And me, without him even having to say it, and maybe this is because he's a trained actor, making sure I keep my cap on and just don't go um, all in one way or the other, he can deliver a convincing performance in that way if that's what he wants you to believe. That's, that was cool, Carla. I've never thought about it that way, just getting into their psychology a little bit. So some of the differences between the two trials, we got into the UK trial a little bit last week, and it's important, I think, first to note that the UK trial was actually against Johnny Depp and the publication, The Sun. This was not directly against Amber Heard. Right. The, the publication, which is kind of like a, a People magazine, maybe even a step down below that 
kind of tabloid shenanigans over in the UK, claimed that Johnny Depp was a wife beater. And it went viral. It exploded online. Their their sales in print went went crazy. And Depp felt that that was hurting his persona. It was hurting his ability to get jobs. And also it seemed like there was a little bit of angst over the idea that he felt they had settled this in the divorce. You got your $7 million from me, Amber. We good. We signed all of the agreements. We did all the things. I thought this was supposed to be settled now. And here comes this thing by the sun. And Johnny wasn't necessarily even going directly after Amber. He was just trying to quash this narrative so that he could get back to his acting career. Which, you know, to say, if this isn't true, I can't blame him. I don't know if someone came out and was like, hey, you abused someone that I would feel any different. I would want to feel very angry. I would want to get vindication to say like, I'm not this person, especially when this article is posted, how things were in the world. Finally, which is a good thing, that a lot of men were being held accountable for the things that they have done for 20, 30, 50 years. And so he was like, oh, wait a second. I'm not that person. That's right. I didn't really do all of that. This isn't fair. This isn't an accurate portrayal of our relationship that we had. We were both toxic. He said in that last statement, we sometimes got volatile, but we were very passionate and it was bound by love. We never intended for things to kind of go this far. And I think there's probably some truth to that too. I don't think that either of them were maliciously coming after one another. I do think it's his moment to say like, wait, I didn't do this. That's right. Let's just take a second. And before every publication on earth starts latching onto this, which they were starting to latch onto it, Let me just get my account of things out there. That's what the UK trial felt like. Felt like Johnny trying to say, no, 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 this is settled. We both signed statements saying that we love each other. This came from a good place. I also just want to echo the point that you said about this was toxic for both of them. It is so clear to me, regardless of which side of the fence that you fall on, or maybe you're someone that's still in the middle and you don't really have an opinion on this. They were both in a relationship that was bad for each other. No one wins in those situations. Both of those human beings walked out of there hurt and parts of their lives dismembered because of, of something that started from a place of love. And that's tragic in its own way. That's hard. I think we've all had a relationship where you were like, you know what? I wasn't great. They weren't great. Yes. We weren't great together. Yep. And I know that I have had relationships like that. And I don't know that I like look back and be like, you know what? That was all their fault because there are times where I'm like, you know what? I was kind of a shitty person then too. They were kind of a shitty person. And together we made a really shitty toxic (laughs) situation. And actually it's interesting because even to this day, like now at years later that I can be friendly with one another, I can be like acquaintance and be like, you know what? We learned a lot. We grew up a lot. I do think too, like she's pretty young. So I feel like a lot of that is due to her age. I do think the other half of it is due to Johnny's crazy addictions and alcohol and and just probably emotions too. But I think it's okay to say, hey, it's not you. It's me. Actually, it's both of us. us. (laughs) We just didn't fucking work together. Right. (laughs) Sorry. And there was all this passion. There was clearly this connection It just, when both of you have what seem like viable claims of abuse against one another, that's 
when it's time to walk away. <laughs> I'm I, just saying. I also think that, like, really, too, the son went really far. So the op-ed obviously said, like, domestic violence, but that is her portrayal on the relationship for what that's worth. And there was domestic violence. Yeah. There and, was. Period. And I, I don't think, though, at the time when the son was saying, like, oh, Johnny Depp, you're a wife beater, that there was a lot of evidence out there to say, oh, yep, Johnny D- Depp is a wife beater. So it was a pretty bold headline for them to put out. And that is indicative to what they do as a company. That's one of the differences between these two trials also, though, is that this is a publication and that they have a freedom of the press that, while isn't quite as free as the United States, it's the same premise that it's built on, that the press should be able to say a lot of things because it's all about accountability. So I've read from a fair few sources, and if some of you disagree and have legal reasons for doing so, please let us know. I want to hear all about that. I've been obsessed with learning about this. But to the point of the defamation case, you have to actually meet a certain standard of saying it's defamation. This was meant as a defamatory statement. It was meant to be knowingly lying about you in order to cause harm. I don't think even as someone that disagrees with the content of the son's write-up, I don't think that it met that standard. Like, I think that there is enough stuff out there that it was not a completely unreasonable thing to say. And yeah. I do wonder if that played into why Johnny lost it. We've talked about, too, that as far as the trial, when the U.S. trial started, we definitely felt like Johnny Depp was in the wrong. 100%. That we were... We, I walked in being team Amber, yeah, 100%. We felt like Amber had really been, especially I think because it's no big secret about some of his addictions, she had won this already in this case. And so then we started to see things come out, which shown a different light. We saw the other side. I think for him, he's probably vindicated to realize that this was a toxic relationship and they were both really bad for each other. But I will always be shocked that it went in his favor because of that. Yeah, 100%. As you've kind of been hearing us talk about, the U.S. trial, of course, was actually Johnny versus Amber. So Johnny made a defamatory claim against her, saying that several statements, and they were outlined multiple, which I'll go over here in a few minutes, that were just verifiably untrue and that they were meant to harm him and harm his career and meant to bolster her own. So this wasn't against the Washington Post. This was Amber versus Johnny, and Amber turned around and made a counterclaim. So Johnny sued Amber Heard for $50 million dollars. And Amber likewise came back and sued him for $100 million. He's now suing her and taking her through the mud and that this is having an impact on what should have been a continually rising star. And because she's so much younger, she you know, has her whole career ahead of her and now all that's ruined. So that was kind of the thought behind the $100 million claim versus the $50 million claim. I just have to laugh at it. No, I've seen your face and I'm like, oh. I'm already rolling my eyes because an actor who is 30 years experience at that point yep. in acting, plus in acting, is going to sue you for $50 million. And you who have- 10 years? Yeah, and you really have not had like blockbusters because even though Aquaman, it still wasn't this huge that some of the other ones were yet. I think like that storyline was still being brought out. Now, 
maybe in the next couple of movies that they have regarding Aquaman, it would have continued to blow up. But she wasn't a hundred million dollar actress at that moment. So I always laugh at the amount. Like, okay, let me pick a number out. You know what? Let's just double that 50 million. I feel like it's important to just highlight also Amber walked away with seven million dollars in damages from their divorce. Seven million dollars I know doesn't sound an 18 month marriage. That's right. I know that seven million dollars maybe in this kind of case doesn't sound like a lot, but I just want to put this in perspective that if you had seven million dollars, never invested it, never put it in a bank where it was going to earn money for you, you could spend the next hundred years spending $70,000 a year. That's what you would have to do to get through that $7 million. All I heard was like challenge accepted. Like <laughs> how fast can I blow $7 million? <laughs> hold my beer. Yeah. Hold on just one second. That question just popped in my head like over and over again throughout the trial. Why are you, to your point about the ridiculous amount, why are you going at him for that much like if you really do want to live this more humble life that you're talking about your actions don't seem aligned with that that's not a judgment that's just an observation of those kinds of actions going after someone for that unreasonable sum of money does not look or feel like the reasonable response from someone that says i just want to go be a mom I joke that i am the queen of petty there's definitely a layer of pettiness in almost everything that Amber does in regards to the trial. I think that's exactly what she did. She said, okay, you want 50 million? How about 100 million? Like, let me just double up on it. And to be on her side a little bit, I do wonder if some of that is just like, you were literally, you're pulling me through the mud too. Because in this case, she was the one that countersued. She didn't start this whole suing role. Maybe is trying to make that point and trying to kind of push back and say, Are you putting us both through this? This is ridiculous to a certain extent. All right, so this is between Amber and Johnny in the U.S. Another important difference is that the U.K. trial is in front of only a judge while the U.S. one is in front of a jury. And they do this for a couple of reasons in the U.K. In their mind, in these kind of civil suits, putting it in front of a judge, they have literally seen thousands and thousands of cases, and they're generally just a little less fooled by some of the stage shows. I I think that's really what a lot of being an attorney is like in the United States is you have to also be a pretty seasoned actor in order to do that. And this is much less about that in the UK. It's only in front of the judge where in front of the jury, you obviously have the potential to win over these people that this might be their first time ever serving on a jury. If you get a really experienced one, maybe they've done it three or four times in their life. It's still not a lot. And that's been spread out by years and years and years. So they're not professionals at this. And I've seen some competing opinions about this. I'd be interested in yours on this. For me, I'm like, okay, but now I don't have to just convince one person who might lean a certain way because they're an academic that makes a good amount of money. And so now you're you're in this echo chamber of people that think like you, that are as educated as you. And so you're seeing the world in a very specific way and you get to be judge and jury, literally when you're on this kind of UK case, where in the United States, I've got to convince 12 strangers that come from a mix of backgrounds and a mix of socioeconomic upbringings, a mix of races, a mix of genders, 
all sorts of things. If even one of them disagrees, this could land in a mistrial. I have to convince all of them equally. So I just think that there are arguments on either side as to like which one is the, I'm putting air quotes up that you can't see, but better system. Yeah, no, I do think it is important that there's only one person who was judging the situation, especially in this, like this isn't a criminal trial where you're like looking at facts. These are perceived facts and it's very muddy. And I think you have to look at, you know, you're having to look at the text messages, you're having to look at past behaviors, you're having to listen to the counselor and and also some of their legal experts. You'd have one legal expert who was like, the sky is blue and the other legal expert is saying, no, the sky is purple. Yep. And so you're having to differentiate. And I do think with 12 different people, you could have gotten a mix and they're having to agree on amounts and separate charges. And so yep. I do think it is risky that from a jury perspective that you're now having to convince all of these people, honestly, on something that isn't, I think, quite black and white. Yeah. There's a lot of gray in that whole trial and deciding like who was right and wrong or otherwise, or like what could you actually prove with everyone disagreeing with one another. Yep. Um, so I, I do think it probably came down to who do you believe more? And then also too, like who did a better job of showing their side? Yeah, such a messy situation in front of a jury. I think, and maybe this is just because I've grown up in the States, I still would prefer it. You know, I would still prefer, it feels like a more fair shot. Because if you happen to be in front of a judge over in the UK that tends to lean the way that you think, then maybe you're golden. But the opposite could be true if they don't. Where in a jury, it's more likely that you're going to have at least one person that has something in their background that's kind of similar to yours and is going to play devil's advocate when they're back there deliberating. And so I, I don't know, for what it's worth, Team USA on this one, I, I like that that's kind of the approach that we take to these civil cases, even if it does make it a little bit of a media circus. Another big difference here is that in the US, claimants get to have a friendly examination by their own counsel before they are cross-examined. In the UK, claimants have to submit a sworn statement in writing, and therefore at the in-person trial, you jump right into cross-examination. Oh. So I, I know, I thought that was really interesting. And a couple of the articles I was reading, one was by The Guardian, a few others that we'll make sure that we link in the show notes. Again, kind of competing opinions on if this is good or bad. Things that go in writing, again, you're swearing it, written affidavit, there's and there's less nuance to it. It's like, oh, I know I said it that way, but my tone was insinuating this. No, no, you put it in writing. You have a responsibility to be descriptive in that way. You have to sign your name to it saying this is absolutely what happened. It was also interesting, though, to hear about how folks in the UK feel like in the United States, and a fair few people in the United States as well, think that that kind of friendly examination by your counsel allows you to warm up the jury to a certain extent. It's part of the show. And if you have a really convincing person, and that was some of the argument against a Johnny Depp, where he's a seasoned actor, he's a very naturally charming human being that's captivating to, to watch and to listen to. He's very bombastic with his terms. He knows how to tell a story really fucking well that in some ways that's not only warming up the jury but it's also warming up the witnesses because it's putting them in this more emotional place and some of that's removed in the uk some of it's just like nah no bullshit 
you wrote down your statement. Now I'm going to come in here and go for the guttural. Like, you know. I'd be very interested to go back and read his statement because just as you said, like he's very bombastic. He is such a drama queen. Like he is <laughs> fucking drama. Yep. Everything he says, it's always very dramatic. Um, So I could only imagine. It's probably like a literally a 47 page statement <laughs> probably <laughs> only 47 pages <laughs> i'll have to look that up we might put that in some after show things because I, I that would be fascinating to see the length and some of the verbiage and both of their statements and just be able to pick out before i even saw who wrote it who wrote this <laughs> on the flip side when you're having to write a statement especially something that's going to be produced i imagine it's been edited like i'm sure somebody's looked it over your lawyer perhaps made sure that it is in the best way that it can be written is very factual where i think sometimes what happens when people even if it's a friendly that there are things that you can say that can get you in trouble that if you're writing it out you're not going to be in trouble there's probably like both sides to that like what might be better but i think hearing from them hearing some of their version of things before you get into the heated cross-examination is interesting because I'm not sure in the written that we're going to get an unedited version either. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. There was kind of a counter point made in one of the articles that I was reading that was talking about how you're allowed to coach your witnesses in the United States. That's not allowed in the UK. So the first time that your witnesses ever receive a question from counsel is on the stand as witnesses. Or in the United States you're allowed to coach them through that. And often there were a fair few experts that said that it can come off feeling very rehearsed and very by rote. I like your point about, well, you're kind of getting the same idea in the written statements. You're getting to really curate your words. You're getting to tell a very precise story in writing that you're gonna bumble if you're on the stand because there's all of this atmosphere and all of these other stimuli in the room that can throw you off. And to your point, you say wrong one wrong word and you may incriminate yourself. A hundred percent. Right there, so boom. Again, I don't know if I feel like one's better or worse. The only one I really do have an opinion about is the jury. I see strengths and weaknesses of both of these, but just making sure that you all as listeners understand the difference between these two trials and maybe that leads to why they had different outcomes. So those are the big differences here. I want to move on to some of the moments that I thought were most shocking. And I want to start with the one that you already kind of hit on, Carla. And it was about just the outrageous amount of substance abuse that was happening in this relationship on both fucking sides. It was obscene. I didn't realize people like adults who are successful in their lives did this much drugs. I just don't know. I just didn't know. <laughs> I feel like that maybe it's, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the time of the war against drugs. And so I have been. This is your brain on drugs. Uh, That's literally right. what I was I about to say. So, you know, I did not know. I just, I just goes to show that I live a very unfair life, knowing that if I did half of what they did on one given night, I'd probably fall out and die. Yes. So I don't have the type of body to withstand that type of drug use. And I don't say that to be like, oh, that's so cool, because I don't think it's cool because I, I did grow up against in the, you know, war against drugs. But I was really shocked at all the drugs that they did. I come from the perspective of someone that believes that a fair few of drugs should be legal and that some of our resistance in the United States to that is really 
ill-begotten. I think we should be focusing on treatment and that when you make something illegal, you make it something that be can become a black market trade, A, and that's something that if you're anything like me, when I'm told not to do something, I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. Okay, I'm going to go do that now. Watch. <laughs> so that's right. <laughs> and it just was shocking to me. The fact that Johnny Depp would go through sometimes multiple magnum bottles of wine throughout a day. I love wine, but you give me more than two glasses, maybe three, and I'm going to start to not be able to reason with the world effectively. And the idea that someone could go on to have, I think a magnum is six glasses a piece. So, I mean, you're talking 10 to 12 glasses of wine in a day. Okay. I can't okay, drink girl. more than six seltzers <laughs> at a time. I want to die the next day. There's no way I could drink that much wine. I mean, could you also imagine, like, what is your blood? Also, like, Johnny Depp, like, we're getting older, you know? And I That's will right. say, like, while he still looks very handsome, it's not the body that he, you know, that he had in the 90s. That's right. It's catching and up so with you, sir. I can only imagine I'm worried about my sugar. Like I'm drinking sugar-free <laughs> alcohol at this point <laughs> in my life. And he's over here drinking four bottles of wine. Yeah. Just, I mean, just insane. And mixing that with other substances too. And I know that there was a lot of, there was kind of a magnifying glass put on that aspect of it. Amber was no saint in this either. Absolutely. Knows her husband and has claimed her husband on several occasions has a substance abuse issue and that she doesn't like the person that he is when he gets in that space. But at their wedding, it's like, hey, there's going to be ecstasy and pot there. Like, that was kind of advertised. That was one of the things that came out in the trial. And it's like, hey, girl, like, are you serious that you're about to be made up? You're going to be put in this gorgeous gown in your Bahamian island and you're going to risk getting into the drugs and doing something crazy with this. I can't even imagine how expensive of a gown it was. I, there's a part of me that's just like, it's not worth it. Like, maybe one puff, but then girl, pass it. Pass it. Right. I, well, I'm just over here like, weed and ecstasy? Like, that's... Okay. okay. That, that's okay. a lot. All right. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what ecstasy when it's supposed to be this kind of holy matrimony setting, what kind of state of mind that puts you in. That's interesting. So I, that was number one for me, was just walking away with, wow, and maybe this was a product of them being in such a, a bad situation with each other. This is how we're trying to cope with it. This is how we're trying to cover it. This is how we're trying to numb it. Maybe that's where it comes from, but it, regardless of the motivation, was just shocking to me. Another big moment was Dr. Shannon Curry's testimony coming out and saying that Amber, in her opinion, has uh, borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder, and that it's part of what's setting her up to make some of these really wild claims. And I will say that she was an incredibly convincing witness. She took absolutely no bullshit from either side, from Johnny's side or from Amber's side's counsel was able to answer things succinctly in an understandable manner and with a, just a ton of confidence. And the basic claims here from Dr. Curry, and I'm way oversimplifying because, you know, we, we don't have a ton of time left in this episode, just to say that it basically called out, Amber tried to present as though she had PTSD, and that is what Amber's uh, witness on her side claimed, that, that she has PTSD. 
and that Dr. Curry basically came out and said, no, 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 she tested on multiple of the psychiatric tests that we administer as psychologists and psychiatrists that we administer to try to understand where a person is coming from. She came across as someone that was trying to look like they had PTSD, trying to give very specific answers to align with that. And I have the receipts, by the way, here are all of these examinations to prove it. But in fact, she has this other set of disorders that would make her really prone to give these outlandish responses to life in general and what's happening around her. And it's also lumped in there with narcissistic personality disorder. You're super self-fixated and that can present in people in different ways. They can either present as the victim, it's always someone else's fault, or it can be the opposite where they think that it's always their own fault. But in this case, I just thought that was really interesting context from Amber's side to see someone that was setting themselves up to be a public face for domestic abuse, but also has these pieces of them that just don't seem to align behaviorally with what they're actually claiming. I thought her testimony was just fascinating. She really was. Obviously, I don't have any clinical background, so I don't know anything. I have known quite a few narcissists in my life. <laughs> so I, what I will say is that narcissists do have this habitual place where they're constantly saying everything is somebody else's fault. There's always some reason for it. And I think it was in episode one where we talked a little bit about how there's a common theme surrounding Amber, that everything is somebody else's fault. Yes. First about, which I am not here to say that a woman or someone who has come out or the things that she has had in her life is not difficult. And there aren't many things and industries and people who are against those things. But I think instead of telling a story about like how you overcame that, instead of constantly saying, this is the reason that I didn't get it, that's just my personality. I would prefer the other side of the story. In that trial, the whole time she was completely like, oh, no, I never did that. No, I did not do that. No, I did not that. When we're literally listening to recordings of her, yes. like the receipts could not have been any more clear. And I, instead of saying, you know what, I was shitty. This is a situation that I was dealing with. I was really trying to do my very best. I was, you know, whatever. Just to admit, and that's something that like narcissists have the hardest time is to say that there is actually a part that I played in this. I do think that Johnny Depp has some narcissism because I mean, I think we all do really. But I will say that like for a lot of his testimony, he did say these are things that I did wrong. I'm not perfect. And I think, you know, it's important. We've said it before, like not everyone is all good and all bad. No one was perfect. There were no winners. Everyone lost. But for Amber to just still double down and be like, nope, I never did anything wrong. Bullshit. Stop reading my mind. I literally have written down here for my next point. Everyone's a liar from Amber Heard. Like, yes. And Camille Vasquez from Johnny Depp's side really capitalized that on closing arguments and in her second cross-examination of Amber directly before closing arguments was just this idea that everyone that comes up on the stand, they're a liar. You know, um, Amber Heard claims that Johnny Depp completely trashed a trailer when they were on vacation, but Johnny Depp has the actual manager from that trailer area come I don't want to call it a trailer park. I don't think that was true, but it was a trailer. No, it was. It was a trailer park because it was like a themed one. Yeah. And they were like retro kind yeah. of things. 
but literally was able to show, yeah, there was a light fixture that I had to charge Johnny Depp $62 to replace. So it's when you hear Amber's side of it, and then you actually hear from the manager to be like, yeah, it was a little mussed up, and there was one light fixture that I had to have him uh, replace, but basically I've seen worse. It doesn't compute, and Amber's, that's not what happened. And directly asked by Johnny's counsel, so you're saying he's a liar. No, I'm just saying that's not what happened. He's literally come up here and telling you exactly, here's the receipts for it. So to your point, she would have come off as more believable to me if you just would have leaned in, been in that specific circumstance. If it would have been something like, you know what, I understand that's what happened, but I'm telling you what happened in that trailer was not a good thing. Perhaps I'm exaggerating how trashed the thing was, but I'm telling you that the experience that I had in there was a, of a, was from a man that was unhinged and was from a man that I was afraid of in that moment. And does it have to end in broken windows and sofas in order for it to be abuse? And the answer, by the way, is no. It doesn't have to end in those things. It felt like she was unnecessarily leaning into those things at times just to prove a point, and the point landed flat. It made her look like she didn't have the kind of character that I'm looking for if I'm going to give someone a verdict in their favor. Right. I don't want someone who never can realize. And I think because the fact is, we saw it. We saw it in both text messages. We saw it in recordings. We knew for a fact that not everything she was saying was as black and white as the story that she portrayed. That's right. Also, I felt like Amber was like making herself as this like delicate flower. Amber has been in abusive viewpoints for most of her life. I mean, and I don't know how the relationship was between her dad and her mom other than what we have found and what has been reported out on. But this isn't like if I went home and my husband threw a bottle of wine, I'm going to be, what in the hell is going on here? But I maybe to someone who has dealt with that type of family upbringing their whole lives, I think it's going to be much more normal to them. I don't know, just, just certain things just didn't align for me. And I really just struggled with the fact that nothing, anything in that whole relationship was her fault. Everything was Johnny Depp's fault. And that to me just doesn't feel real. And it was so counter to Johnny's approach to these things. Like when some of those text messages, we've talked about the ones between him and Marilyn Manson, him and Paul Bettany, they were awful. There was one exchange between Depp and Isaac Baruch saying something to the effect of hopefully that C-words, rotting corpses, decomposing in the fucking trunk of a Honda Civic. We've it was talked, pretty rough. I mean, that's rough. He doesn't deny any of it. He just comes out and says, you know what? That was really awful of me to say. I have a lot more respect for someone that can look at that objectively and say that I was not at my best right there than I do someone that just tries to pretend it didn't happen. It's so hard to, I think about all the crazy things that I text people. <laughs> God forbid that I ever end up on trial and all my private text messages to my friends are said out loud in a court and I have to stand behind them. I would be embarrassed. And I don't think that what he said was right. I definitely think that it's wrong. I know that I also like in jest being angry at people have talked about things like that, where I have said things that if I were standing on a trial, I would be like, okay, that was kind of shitty that I said that. In addition to that one that I just read, there was another one in which he said, I will blank her burnt corpse afterwards to make sure that she's dead. 
like literally referring to necrophilia like it and he owned up to it two last things that'll hit on one of them around amber's alleged sexual assault with a bottle by johnny that i thought was just impossibly shocking all along the abuse they had talked about was mostly verbal and emotional occasional physical but this was the only allegation of sexual abuse that came out against Johnny, and she literally said that he broke the thicker half of the bottle off and then was using the thinner part of the bottle to assault her. And first of all, I just need to say, if that is true, fuck you, Johnny Depp. Like, legit, if, like, even if you did get off on this trial, but that is true, and if it's not true, that is a really horrible allegation to make against a person to try to paint yourself in some sort of light. So I have really strong feelings about this, but then B, if it didn't happen, you making that accusation against someone and it having the potential to to stick and forever alter their lives, perhaps get them on the sex offenders list, like prevent them from being able to work in the future. What an awful, those allegations only need to be made if they are absolutely true. And I just, I don't know. I don't even know what else to say about that one. That one just very much upset me on both sides of it, both possible realities of that situation were awful to me. It's so gross. It was hard to listen to her talk yes. about it. It was hard to listen to Johnny's reactions to what she had said. I definitely would not have wanted to be in the jury to just try to decide because there's nothing about that that feels good. I think that's the other thing. There's nothing about that that feels good to say when you don't have any proof, we can't go back and prove whether or not. And there was no proof decided. It was literally one person's word against the other. I know that the jury did the best that they could in regards to it based on the information that they were provided. Last one, a little lighthearted because I couldn't end with that one. Thank you. <laughs> I, know, I know it was so heavy, but I had to bring it up because it was shocking. No, yeah. It was so shocking and it just left me in this space of, it is so clear to me, like we said at the beginning of this episode, that these both of these people were in a terribly toxic relationship with one another, and neither of them were completely innocent. The last one was the possibility of the altered photos and the makeup issue. So there were several instances where Amber Heard alleged that she had been beaten, but then the next day would be out on the street in seemingly light or no makeup and have no bruises to her face. There was one where she said that she'd been beaten to the point of her thinking that her nose was broken, but then the next night she's on James Corden and literally they're up close on her face. And while I get that makeup can get rid of bruises, what makeup can't get rid of is swelling. That's not an option. And if someone beat you to the point that you think your nose is broken. One photo in question that was allowed into evidence where it looks like Amber is standing in front of a mirror and there is a bruise on her cheek. But there was another image that I'm telling you down to the little spry hairs that were sticking out looked like an identical version of a photo that even had some of the same metadata on the background that Johnny's team presented as evidence that was almost identical into one that had been brought in earlier that just looked like it had been altered all except for the bruise. Like the lighting had been changed to pronounce this, this shadowy area that looked like a bruise. It was convincing to a certain extent, this idea that someone, even if it wasn't Amber, might have manipulated these images to look like she was bruised or at least more bruised than she actually had been in that moment. 
It also looked like one of those situations where it could have been done with makeup. There wasn't a lot of swelling to it. It looked like it had been painted on, but I'm not an expert at that. That's just my opinion. Amber's team did really well as they showed uh, a set of pictures of Johnny after an alleged bout of physical violence where he said that he had been punched and slapped repeatedly by Miss Heard. And one of the photos does appear to show a bruise on Johnny's face that would align with that having happened just a couple of nights before and then an almost identical photo where it looked like there was absolutely nothing. Their version of calling their bluff and saying in the right lighting anyone can look like they have a shiner, with the right makeup anyone can look like they have a shiner, and if that's something that you're going to use against our client in Amber Heard, we're going to use it right back against you and show you, you know, that sometimes you your physicality has looked inconsistent with what you claim happened. The one thing about makeup that I think is interesting, definitely a lot of her claims around the makeup, it felt very false. When she went to the courthouse and had the- um, That was the restraining order. The restraining order. She was without makeup yeah. showing her bruises. But if you look at the pictures, she definitely looks like she still has makeup on. Like she put makeup on or around so-called bruises. Yeah. I also think that there could have been bruises and scratches and whatever on her face. I think those two definitely took in a violent type of relationship. I think the question is, who do we think is the aggressor? So yeah. if I started a fight with you, like today after this podcast, if I decide that I want to clock you and you're going to grab at my hair or grab at my face, like I'm still gonna walk away with marks, even though I'm the aggressor. Again, like leads to the jury that like, who do you believe? Because every side is going to show you the opposite of whatever the other expert said. So it's really hard to see. And some of the metadata stuff too, um, I think it's gonna, it probably came down to their gut and who they believed was telling the truth and who they didn't believe. Yeah. Well, I will say that both sets of photos were convincing. The one of Amber were literally down to the wisps of hair they aligned, but in one image, she had no bruise. It just looked like normal shadowing that you would have on the side of your face that isn't closest to the light. And the other one, it looked like a bruise. That one was jaw dropping to me because it's literally, I mean, you have longer hair. I don't have any hair, so I don't know how this goes. You can't hide but you it. have longer hair. Like if you literally had a photo where every wisp of hair you could line up the photos on top of one another and there wasn't a wisp out of place. That looks like a duplicated photo. Right. It, whether or not it is, I'm not gonna say. I'm not an expert at these things. As someone that was observing this, that felt very false. I didn't like it. I think the same thing about the day that the restraining order was issued. And here's the thing, if she was being abused, I don't think that she would need to cover it. We had the the note at the beginning of this episode about the domestic abuse national hotline. So domestic abuse is a real thing. And I do think that it comes with a certain stigma and it comes with this weird guilt for a lot of people. They get into a situation mentally where they feel like they deserve it and they feel like, or they feel like they should have been able to get out of it. And so they hide it because they feel like they have to, air quotes, be strong enough to get through it or whatever. So I don't know that it's that simple or cut and dry. That's what I will say about that situation. And when we start looking at any person under a microscope, did they or didn't they wear the proper amount of makeup to you know, the court appearance when they were trying to get away from their abusive spouse, 
I, I don't know. I think that's, that's truly where I land is. I just don't know. I can only comment on how it made me feel. And to your point, that didn't feel right when now, I saw some of those images. Johnny Depp nor Amber Heard asked Carla or Michael for their opinion. That's why we give you our unsolicited feedback. <laughs> yes. So here are our, here's our feedback on what we felt was happening. And I do like the fact that I'm okay not knowing. I was not a jury in that trial. I did not have to decide who was wrong or who was right. I can say that like, there are things that I believe are right that Johnny said. There are things that Johnny said that I don't believe. Yep. Same thing with Amber. There are things that I believe are probably accurate. And then there's some things that I don't believe are accurate. Ultimately, it was down to the jury to decide though. And each claimant had three statements that the jury had to decide upon. So we'll review those really quickly as we, we wrap up here. So the statements against Amber were all based on her Washington Post op-ed both the online version and the print version. That was important because they had slightly different titles and the online version was also a little longer. So it had a few additional details that the print version didn't have. The first statement was against only the online version where the statement was something to the effect of, I spoke up against domestic violence and faced our culture's wrath that has to change. In each of these statements, they have to prove eight things. So they have to prove that all of the elements of that statement met the standard of defamation, that they had to be made or published by the individual or a representative of that individual, that the statement had to be made about the other person. So if I'm Amber, I had to have been saying it about Johnny Depp, that the statement was in fact false, that the statement had defamatory implication, which the best that I could get online was basically, it made a bad impression on a wide scale to the point where it could cause substantial harm to the person, either in reputation, financially, usually a mix thereof. That's kind of the defamatory condition that we're looking for here. That the implication was designed and intended, so they didn't just say something that had a big detrimental effect, but they actually meant to, that the circumstances conveyed defamatory nature to others and not just the other person. So if I wrote an article about you, Carla, but you were the only one offended by it, that doesn't meet the standard of defamation. A broad group of people would have to be all like, he's talking shit about her no, I didn't in know order that. for it to meet the standard. And that lastly, that they acted in actual malice. And this one is the most amorphous to me. It's the hardest to wrap my head around, but basically they had harmful intent as best as we can tell, because we can't read people's minds. We can't read intention, but that they had an intent to harm this person. So for that first statement, the jury unanimously said yes to all of those statements. For the second one was about her statement within the article where she said, I became a figure for domestic abuse. They said that also met all the standards of defamation, all eight of those questions that I had just mentioned. And lastly, that her statement that was something around the effect of institutions protect powerful men, that was also defamatory. Amber's three statements that she was suing Johnny and his team against, one of them was based on a 2020 Daily Mail article, and this was Johnny's attorney team that I think was the same one as the trial, but I don't know that for sure. But whoever his team of attorneys were at the time basically said that Amber and her friends used allegations as a sword and a shield. They were using all of this as both a weapon and to protect themselves from getting hurt for any wrongdoing. 
and the jury said that that did not meet the standard of defamation. There was a second statement that was made in the same article by Johnny's counsel. This was an ambush and a hoax against Johnny that they had set him up and that they had worked carefully with an attorney and a publicist to concoct a story to purposefully and knowingly do all of this to Johnny Depp. And the jury did find that that one met the standards of defamation. So they answered yes to all eight of those questions. And then the third statement was, we've reached the beginning of the end of Amber's abuse hoax, specifically honing in on the idea of this as a hoax, but that it didn't go as far as that second statement, so they said it did not meet the standard of defamation. In the end, there are two kinds of damages that were to be awarded to each person. One is compensatory, so that is meant to pay someone back for what they've lost because of the thing that the other person said. And then there are punitive damages, which are purely meant to be a punishment against the other person. Like you have acted in such bad form that even beyond what this person lost, we're just going to give you an extra middle finger to say you really did some bad shit. So the jury ended up awarding Johnny for those three statements, all meeting the standard of defamation, 10 million in compensatory damages. So basically saying, we believe that you lost about 10 million in wages because of these things, because of this assault on your character, and then an additional $5 million in punitive damages, which is capped by the state of Virginia at only 350,000. So there were a lot of people that think that the jury knew that, and it was just meant to be more symbolic than anything to be a like, girl. We, we don't trust you. We, we see you. <laughs> we see you. On the flip side, remember that the jury did find that that one set of statements around Amber and her friends setting up Johnny, working with an attorney publicist to completely concoct a story that did meet the standard of defamation. So the jury did counter award Amber $2 million in compensatory damages, but nothing in punitive, meaning that at the end of this, unless some appeals end up changing the outcome of this, that Johnny ended up with a net win of a little over $7.5 million, which I find just ironic because Amber was awarded $7 million in the divorce. Wow. So who do you think is going to pay her money? Maybe Elon Musk. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I totally, I don't know why. He's I, got billions. Like seven million's nothing big. Yeah. I was like, whatever. <laughs> I, you know, I totally feel like he's just going to be like, you know what, guy? I like, got I'm, you. I'm just going to do this for you. I'm just going to pay this seven million. That's right. None of us know because there are all these speculations as to her net worth. Who knows how much she actually has in the bank? Maybe that's not an impossible sum for her on her own. They will come after it unless it is overturned. They will garnish her wages. I saw a fair few people, especially on Reddit and some other uh, sites like that, where people get to you know, unabashedly give their opinion. They're like, I hope that if this is true, that Amber's career isn't over because she needs to make money in order to pay out what is owed to Johnny Depp based on this civil suit. So She did just sell her home, too. So yeah. by the time that we recorded our first episode when she was living in the Yucca Valley, between now, she sold her house in Yucca Valley. I don't know if she's in Texas with her dad and her sister. I think her sister had a baby recently. I'm not sure exactly where she is laying her head now, but I know she's definitely staying out of the limelight. Even social media is shut down. And I don't think the cancel culture of today, there are many people where it's very justified. You know, R. Kelly things like that. Absolutely. Remove. I think in this case, I don't know if I agree with 
canceling Amber. And I, the reason is, is that I think there's still sufficient evidence that we saw yes. that neither parties acted great. For the most part, it seems as though that relationships outside of this one together, that they were okay. They were successful in some ways. There's not a lot of allegations of abuse, but you know, what do we know? I also think like Amber, even though she was in her late 20s, early 30s, for the most part, she was still very young. She was fight in the way that she would fight. You know, it's what we heard in like recordings and stuff. It's a very immature way of fighting. I hope that they can move on from this. I hope that they can find like love and happiness. She's now a mother and that makes you grow up. I hope that she is. I hope that she's getting like real counseling and they're talking through real issues that happened. But I think in this case, like just completely canceling her out isn't the right thing to do because there was some ugly things in there. Like the same thing on the other side, like Johnny Depp didn't deserve to be completely canceled and cut out of certain movies because there's enough evidence that she chased him room to room, that she admits that she was physical with him. Yeah. So I think in this case, like, it was a shit show. We all enjoyed watching it. Now they should be able to move on with their lives separately, individually. Yeah, I love what you said earlier, and I really do believe this, that outside of some small outliers on either end of the spectrum, but that the middle 99% of us are neither good nor bad. We have dark and light in us, and those things get pulled out at different times. I, I hope that they both can find love again with a healthier set of relationships. I hope that they can both find success, whatever that means for them again, because while I don't know that I saw particularly great people in this trial, I also wasn't convinced that either of them were completely awful people. I think they were Absolutely. two people that had been through traumatic things together. And none of us are at our best when we are going through trauma like that and when we're in that kind of high stress situation. So I don't know. I, you know, the last thing that I will say on this is that it does feel like a, a big conversation around victimhood, especially when it comes to domestic violence and sexual violence that I want to address. Like, I, again, I'm in a gay relationship. I come from a, a different perspective on this, but this idea that that victims are only women is something that has come up a lot and that when a woman says something, believe her. And I just wanna say, this is purely my opinion, so don't come at me in the comments. I don't care if you're a woman or a man, we should be trying to get down to the truth. That's what we should be doing. The victim is the person that as much as we can prove it was actually victimized. And that does not depend on the set of genitals that they were fucking born with. And I hate this idea that we're going to put someone in a pedestal or we're going to put someone down in a ditch just because of how they were born. That's gross. It, we, are, we are better than that. So any of those, those claims that this is going to somehow cool women coming forward and claiming domestic abuse, the first thing I want to say is that a quarter of all reported domestic violence is against men. And that's reported. And I would argue that there is probably... A, a fair bit of evidence that would suggest that men are less likely to report it. So it might even be as much of a third. So it's not like there's no domestic violence happening against men and that all of it's happening to women. Both are awful. And if domestic violence is happening to you, find someone that you can trust, report it. 
call the domestic violence hotline, get yourself help no matter your situation. I love all of what you said and I agree. Like I don't think that this is undoing the Me Too movement or no. is undoing shedding light. I think this shedded light on the fact it it's even interesting, like even throughout the trial, because I wondered at some point, like, why didn't he straight up say, actually, I was the person who abused. He definitely still maintained, we were both shitty, but I was never the aggressor. I was never coming at you to hit you. I was pushing you away or I was trying to get you to stop. While so, I was usually inebriated, by right. the way. <laughs> I love the fact that neither of them are good. Neither of them are bad. They kind of all lose. And it's not up to us to say, oh, I think you're a shitty person and we shouldn't see anything of you. It's just to say that like, wow, we have gotten to see this whole relationship play out and what a sad, entertaining show it was. All I have to say is that I loved my my partner, now fiance, by the way, before this whole situation. But after listening and watching all of this, I feel incredibly fortunate to be in the relationship that I'm in and that I was not in that shit show. So. 100%. 100%. Well, thanks, bitches, for joining us on this journey. I hope it was a fun one. I hope we also like got to dive into to who people were a little bit along the way. We will see you guys next week. We have enjoyed Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and talking about it. And then next week, you're actually going to hear us getting into some true crime stuff. So very exciting. Ooh. Bye, bitches. Bye. So we talk about a lot of shit on here, but always remember to stay kind, stay curious, and stay, stay nosy, nosy, bitches. bitches.